This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. It's Obehave with Arden Moore. This show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the All-Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Can dogs get the blues? Can they actually develop depression? Well, for answers on today's show, we are reaching out to one of the world's most acclaimed veterinary behaviorists. I'm going to just say it. I think he's top dog in that field. His credentials following his name, they could fill a bowl of alphabet soup. He's got a lot of certifications in many, many areas. Please join me in giving pause and applause to the remarkable Dr. Nicholas Dodman. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nick. Well, thank you, Adnan. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. You're going to look at alphabet soup differently, aren't you now? I absolutely am. Hey, he's here to help us with a a tough diagnosis, doggy depression, and some things. You know, COVID whacked us all, and it's making its impact on us and our dogs. We're going to find out some things about how to identify it, what we can do about it after we take this quick break. So sit, stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. Four furry ones actually sit and stay. All Behave will be right back. Hey, pet pals. Arden Moore here from the Old Behave Show talking to you about a great company called Natural Farm. They make all natural dog chews and bones. Yum yum for the dogs. They are single ingredients. They're very nice to the environment and they support a lot of animal welfare groups. Check them out for your dogs. They're bully sticks, gullet sticks, collagen sticks, and peanut butter, chicken, and other flavors. You get to choose what chew for your dog. Go to naturalfarmpet.com. Pause up. Use promo code BEHAVE15 for 15% off store-wide. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All Behave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome back to the All Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I've got a good friend here and a good friend to your dogs, and he is Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He is, I think you're the CEO and co-founder or president. We're going to get all this right here for the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. We're going to say the website. It's real easy. I want you to check it out after the show, dogstudies.org. And he also created the Behavior Center at Tufts University. That's where he and I met each other. I'm so glad you're back on the Old Behave Show, Dr. Nicholas Dodman. That's good to be here. So what you been up to, man? Well, a lot of my time has been spent with the center. CCBS, we call it. CCBS, Center for Canine Behavior Studies. We have meetings all the time. 
We actually looked ourselves up on ChatGPT the other day, and it came out a wonderful account. It said, founded in 2012 by Chris Gilley and Nick Dardman. They produced some you know, epic publications on aggression and fearful behaviors in dogs and you know, working. They did say, nice. however, it's been tricky for them over the years to obtain sufficient funding, which is true. I mean, everything ChatGPT right. said was true. Well, you are a nonprofit, and when people, after the show, if they go to dogstudies.org, please check out because there's some studies there, but there's also ways that people can help and be part of it and even get a cool T-shirt they can buy and some other things. So I support you on your effort and what you're doing, uh, Dr. Dodman. And you even do cat studies and help cats. Come on. Yeah, actually, we've even even got a horse study going on in the background right now. Does that make you a naysayer? Yeah. I guess so. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. That was bad. Hey, let's talk about, I mean, how do dogs get depressed? I know we talk about separation anxiety and fear and anxiety and stress, but how do you define depression in dogs? Well, the answer to the question is, do they get depression? The answer is um, most certainly, yes, they do. And what makes them depressed? Pretty much the same things that can make us depressed in particular, I would say things that I've actually experienced in the clinic of people coming and asking me, you know, why is my dog behaving like this? And it could mm -hmm. be that somebody in the household that the dog was very attached to has died or moved away permanently. You know, maybe there's oh. been a divorce or some such. Sometimes it's if a dog is very closely bonded to another dog and its good companion suddenly isn't there that can lead to depression. And I've had amazing stories, you know, like one person was trying to prevent their dog from seeing the other dog that had to be put down because it was riddled with cancer. So they took it out for a very long walk and they had dug a grave in the backyard for the other one. It was put down, brought home, buried about three feet deep, covered in soil, covered in stones in the backyard. When they came back with the remaining dog, they ran all around the house looking for its buddy and eventually started looking in the garden and found the grave and it sat on it for two days straight oh my gosh what kind of dogs were they do you remember i forget it was too long ago but um boy what does that tell you lots of stories like that it, it tells me that they're very they have sensitive moods you know dogs do have um feelings they are sentient creatures they do experience anxiety and some people in the past even doubted they felt anxious they doubted they felt pain gradually all the anthropomorphisms that dog owners have been using for years that were just for scientists would say you know go wash your mouth out with soap you can't think a dog thinks like that well now it's coming true they they get all of the conditions the anxieties the fears the ptsd even one breed we studied has a version of autism so it's it's all there including depression so i wrote a book called pets on the couch and i had a I whole that. at the back of that on depression and t told some of the stories but when they get depressed they do the same things that we might do. So typically, they will go off food. They're just anxious. Alternatively, they might, you know, like sort of eat to sort of control the boredom. But there's, there's changes in eating behavior. Normally, in my own personal experience, it's normally a suppression of appetite. Okay. They act, and here I am being anthropomorphic, sort of gray, sort of sad, morose, don't do the normal things they would normally do. There's a, a, a lack of playing is, is just gone. Uh, they spend an inordinate amount of time sleeping and just they look, you know, if you're an owner who's in, in tune with their dog, you say something's changed. He looks really low. He looks really blue. And it's obviously happened when 
such and such a person died or such and such a dog had to be put to sleep or something like that. That's always a trigger and it just makes a perfect picture and they respond to human antidepressants. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. We talked about there's some changes in their environment, changes in their connections with some bonds that they may have with a person, a dog, or even a cat. How is this different than the separation anxiety that people are talking about now with COVID, where people are going back to work? Can a dog actually have separation anxiety and depression? Yes, they can. Let me just back up one second that the only type of depression that's been identified in dogs is what's called state aggression. We all might get depressed. For example, if a parent or a sibling or a child dies, you become very low, very blue, you're very sad. It's quite a normal sort of process to go through breathing and everybody does it. It's not a pathological condition. So you can be depressed for a very good reason. That's called state depression. There's a different type in humans, where they, they have that, as I said, but there's another one called trait aggression. And that does happen in people, and people have, you know, unipolar or bipolar depression. You know, bipolar, they, they oscillate between two different poles of an extreme outward behavior or extreme depression, unipolar depression, um, and such like. This is a trait and people will cycle as rapid cycling depression and more slower cycling where people people have bouts of becoming really low. There was one mega donor to the University of um, Massachusetts who was a very successful uh, pharmacologist and he donated a lot of money to build so-called Brudnick Research Center at University of Massachusetts. Well, he had this unipolar depression and his wife always knew when it was coming down because she'd hear, he was, he played the piano and he'd go down into the basement on this grand piano and start playing all this wonderful music. And she's going, oh, oh here we go again. That was always the beginning. Oh, so dogs don't get yep, yep. that sort of trait aggression, but they do get state aggression. Well, you just schooled me and I did not know the, the difference. And how long has it been that people even knew dogs have state depression. I'm sure you've had a role in researching that. Yeah, that's true. Just even just the fact they could be depressed at the loss of a loved one or some other cataclysmic life event, um, you know, a prolonged separation as in death or distance. Yeah, they go really low. And sometimes drugs aside, you know, antidepressants aside, if you're lucky, if you bring a new puppy into the house, the puppy can kind of jolly them out of it. I've done managed to achieve that a few times. They go like, oh, will it work? Can you sign it? It's worth a try, and it has worked. And you you try to jolly them along. You try and play games with them. You try and spend a bit more time, and you've got to really kind of jolly them out of the funk. But you mentioned separation anxiety, and there are different ways that dogs manifest separation anxiety. And the one that most people think of, which apparently affects something between, you know, our own study showed 13% of uh, United States dogs show it. The Novartis, the drug company that made Clomacon, oh, yeah. they said 15% yeah. of dogs have it. And Elanco, the veterinary wing of Lily, um, Eli Lilly and Company, they made the veterinary Prozac, a so-called Reconcile. And they calculated 17%. So if you take the middle percentage, 15% or one in six dogs suffer from separation anxiety. But now you're talking about a syndrome that everybody knows about. The dogs don't want you to leave. They're anxious yeah. before you leave. They act out. Uh, they're miserable when you're gone. They don't eat. They might uh, exhibit destructive behavior, trying to escape through windows or scratching on the back of doors, pulling down micro blinds. They might howl, vocalize. 
and then they greet you exuberantly when you come home. So that's a syndrome most people understand as separation anxiety. But there's another type of dog that when their owner leaves, they become extremely low and depressed. If you film them, they go across and they'll just lie down on their bed and you might say, oh, he's sleeping. But in fact, he's almost weeping, you know, just is in a state of temporary depression because of the loss of his family or pack, whichever you want to call it. He he doesn't, he's alone and he's miserable. In fact, there was a study in England where they measured stress hormones. I was, I learned about this from Dr. Danny Mills, who's at Lincoln University um, in England. And he said in a um, a one hour television program on BBC that in one study, I believe it was their own study, 80% of dogs left home alone have an increase in stress hormones. That is, they're totally stressed out. And people don't realize it because they come back and know the curtains are not being ripped off and the neighbors haven't complained about barking. The dog's just super stressed. And uh, one way they do it is is the stress will cause a sort of temporary depression, which is alleviated when the person gets back. So with the COVID situation, you can totally understand that they got so used to having people around, which would be their preferred way, their family is always around. And then suddenly they go back to work and it's like pulling the rug out because that is one of the triggers for separation anxiety is a sudden change in environment. Like a typical scenario, just give you one example, would be a school teacher who's at home all summer with their dog and then they go back to school in the fall. And when they go back to school, the dog now got so used to having them that the separation anxiety can re-emerge. Maybe it was there before and it's it's catapulted back into separation anxiety. So there's a number of situations like that of persons at home because they've had an injury and when they get better, they go back to work and same thing. Hey, everybody, we're speaking with Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He is the one who is at the head of the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. I want you to check out dogstudies.org. They also have things for cats too. But we're going to come back and talk about some things that we can do to help our pets that may have the depression and talk about some medicine after we take this break. So sit, stay. We'll be right back. Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Obehave. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the Obehave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. This is a really important topic, and I purposely reached out to who I think is the number one expert on it, and that is Dr. Nicholas Dodman, a very acclaimed veterinary behaviorist. You also have a like a PhD in pharmacology or something. Come on, what some of the things 
You're a student and a teacher. Well, I guess we're all students. I mean, I never stopped learning, so that was always looking for new things. I was told when I my first board certification was in veterinary anesthesia, and latterly, you know, after ten or fifteen years in the group, I was talking to one of the members, and she said, "I said, what is it about me?" I said, "People seem to sort of treat me with some degree of suspicion." And she said, "The thing is, you always blow our socks off because you come in and you're talking about something completely new, whether it's the changes yeah. of brain trans- neurotransmitters during anesthesia." or some method of humidification of anesthetic tubes to make dogs recover quickly. It's always something new and um, just groundbreaking. And, and I just love that stuff. Yeah, I like to do new things. So when I got into behavior, I brought my knowledge of pharmacology, which comes from anesthesiology and was recognized as one of the sort of premier veterinary pharmacologists and wrote the first textbook on the subject. So pharmacology, physiology, behavior have been always in my life. Well, and I want to do a shout out because for eight years, I was the editor of Catnip through Tufts University, and you were one of my top people there that I could reach out to and learn a lot about behavior. So you're an amazing person, and I have appreciated through all the years the things that I have learned from you. And so I'm telling you, thanks. And I haven't won the lottery yet, so when I do, I'll let you know. Please do. We need all the help we can get at the center. Anybody who wants all right. to bear it down. All right. So what are some things that we can do at home? And what are some things that are being done with medicine that seems to be having a little bit of impact? But you've always schooled me, taught me that it should be sort of a game plan with different areas to bring out the best in the dog. Well, one thing that I think is important to try and have happen is to increase exercise. And a lot of people think that when you get a decent amount of cardiovascular type exercise, you know, aerobic, running, playing, just running on a beach or running through a wood, you know, preferably off lead if you can, if the dog doesn't run away, you know, gamboling around. People think, oh, exercise generates endorphins, these these feel-good chemicals. Yeah, and probably it does. But one of the main things it does is it generates serotonin. And serotonin has a mood stabilizing and antidepressant effect. So first therapy would be um, exercise. The second therapy really that's easy to do would be perhaps a change in diet because certain diets do promote Oh. if you will, the bad neurotransmitters, the okay. ones that, you know, favor the formation of, um, like for example, norepinephrine would be a neurotransmitter that you could enhance its production by feeding foods that are rich in certain amino acids. I believe tyrosine would be involved there. But you feed diets that maybe, on the other hand, are richer in, for example, tryptophan. So, you know, the typical one is L-tryptophan, or you could use 5-hydroxytryptophan. But tryptophan are we talking turkey? We are talking turkey. Um, okay. <laughs> although I think that's been disproven. There. The reason people sleep so much at Thanksgiving is um, not because of the turkey. It's because all the wine they drank. Oh, there you go. There you go. But let's don't talk about because people, maybe there's a food that will help boost the mood. And, and so what are you saying specifically? If people's looking at reading the label, what, what are some things that might be good for the mood for the dog? There is one proprietary food um, that's just called, uh, the diet's name is, Calm. I believe okay. it's made by Royal Cannon. And I've read the ingredients in that, and they are you know, exactly what you'd expect. I believe it has increase in anxetane, which is a um, an amino acid, just a normal building block of protein um, that has some anxiolytic properties. So could, that can be helpful. Tryptophan is helpful. You know, a non-amino acid melatonin can sometimes be helpful, but you've got to be a bit careful that with that. But the people who made the 
calm diet, which is rather expensive and probably only good for smaller dogs because of the expense, that's all. Yeah, but there are twists that you can do on a diet, even on your own with supplements. Okay. So okay. diet is another thing you can do. Well, what would be a supplement you could get maybe to add to your meal? Well, I think the first one would be that I would think of would be um, tryptophan. Okay. Because, well, there is um, tryptophan you have to use, if, you know, the, they call it L-tryptophan because it rotates right. light, the molecule rotates light to the left. So tryptophan has to be converted to its 5-hydroxy derivative. So, oh, my gosh. And you can buy the 5-hydroxy tryptophan. It's just called 5 HTP. And you can buy it in GNC, you can buy it in CVS, you can probably buy it in your supermarket, anywhere nice. that sells supplements. You just have to get the dose right. And to do that, I think rather than giving too much and whacking a dog out, um, it's better to talk to your vet about that and say, yes, look, please. I'd like to give this medicine. I believe it could be helpful in this situation. Do you agree? And what would you recommend? The dose is out there. People can look it up, you know, dose of 5-hydroxytryptamine for a dog, but I would still involve the dog. It's twice a day. Okay. So you've talked about two different therapies. I think we're now shifting more into some medicines too that might help, right? Well, you might want to, just in terms of environment, as it were, just to spend more quality time with your dog to be more involved more engaged. And then you've got that sort of social companionship study with, you know, I said getting another puppy, but, you know, even having friends, dogs come over and visit or take your dog around to another house full of friendly dogs to interact. You've got to you know, increase their sort of their ability to their outlook, really, um, outlook activity, yeah. you know, to sort of nurse them along. And of, of course, you, you can use antidepressant drugs like Prozac and Clomacom and, you know, whatever else, as long as the vet knows they're, they're prescription drugs. So you'd have to get your vet to prescribe them. And one vet might favor Paxil, another one might favor Zoloft, but they're all in the same class. They're so-called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs. There's actually another class similar to that. They're called SNRIs. They, they, they selectively affect the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine so sometimes you might want to increase norepinephrine if you know in some, some situations but that's where the vet gets involved and it gets complicated you do and you don't or you might you might not new, new treatments for people which have not been tried in dogs yet and they say for you know for people uh, something like ketamine which is a dissociative um, anesthetic that is single dose i believe sometimes it has to be followed up there's a some company I know is developing an oral supplement that could sort of you know kick that can down the road, but um, ketamine yeah. is an antidepressant type action given in a, sometimes a single dose. And some of the other psychoactive drugs like psilocybin are getting some mention in psychiatric conditions these days as being potentially useful, having been vilified for years. Have you found any genetic component, any dog passing on to another dog or certain breeds that might be more prone to depression? I personally have not. But the fact is, some breeds are more sensitive than others. And, okay. you know, just one study that we did, um, we looked at thunderstorm phobia in dogs. And we found that 50% mm -hmm. of all the dogs, you know, it was a fairly large study. So it uh, wasn't massive, but like 100 dogs or so. I can't remember the exact number. But yeah. about half of them were either herding breeds for herding breed crosses. You know, I think a lot of German shepherds these days tend to be a little bit on the anxious side. You can argue the late Ray Coppinger would have said that herding breeds were selected not to commit to a full crushing bite because if they bit the sheep they were supposed to herd, that was a bad thing. 
and sometimes right. they were put down as a result. So they've selected for, if you will, some kind of hesitation in their behavioral repertoire, which might translate into an element of anxiety. Certainly a lot of shepherds I see are anxious and you know some border collies are very sensitive but never mind the uh, breeds a sensitive dog you know one who you know kind of cowers away from people probably on account of earlier experiences but nevertheless sensitive enough to allow that to make its mark or one that is shy around other dogs shy around people um, a dog who's prone to developing for example sound fear that you know if the fire alarm goes off in the house you know the you know, smoke right. alarm uh, they, they shake and they shiver. I've got a dog just like that, as a matter of fact. Rusty's, he doesn't even like to hear the crackling on the grill when you're cooking salmon and olive oil and there's this noise. Wow. And he's he's shaking. When I first got him, he would shake when I took my belt off because I think his previous owner had whipped him. And he would shake when I shook out a trash can because he had the wow. habit of taking trash out of a trash can when we were away. It's a sort of version of separation anxiety, which we realized in the early days and did something about. But the previous owner, when he found all the trash around, something to do with the trash can, putting back the, you know, he shouted it. So trash can, just shaking the trash can bag out. And wow. he had been in the corner of the room, pressed against them. This kind of sensitive dog, if you will, I think, you know, there are different personalities in dogs. And it's kind of more more of a sort of shy, sensitive personality rather than the sort of, you know, hail fellow, well met, you know, hey, I'm a dog, you know, hey, watch out. Yeah, you know, I gotcha. You know, some of them are very confident and some of them aren't. I think the, the ones who, for reasons of um, genetics or for reasons of, you know, maybe earlier tough experiences are sort of shy, uh, those are the ones who would form actually the closest bonds and those are the ones who would be the most seriously affected if that bond is uh, suddenly unexpectedly ruptured. I really appreciate you being on the show. I know this, hey, everybody, the show's called Oh Behave, but we're in a behavior that needs to be identified, addressed, and given uh, some ideas of what we can do to help each pet on an individual basis to kind of feel a little bit better and, and not feel so blue. I keep wanting to sing an Elvis song, you know. But any parting message you'd like to give our listeners? You are on now the longest-running pet podcast on the planet. We've been on the air since 07. Goodness gracious, congratulations. Well, I just think, you know, if anybody wanted to know anything about, for example, dog demographics, you know, how common a particular behavior problem is in the country you know how many dogs do engage in the disgusting habit of coprophagia or rolling in disgusting boop, stuff boop, boop, boop. we've got it all um what's the best thing to do if you've got a dog that is, is showing aggression we've done that study yeah. with thousands of people in it what happens if your dog is fearful afraid or anxious who's the best type of consultant to see what is the best program to use how does it work out what are your odds of success what happens when you see the vet? Um, are, are medications helpful? How about ancillary aids? All that is answered not only in scientese, because there are scientific papers, but we've got a wonderful PhD in English who works with us who translates papers into what on the website is referred to as simplified version. Oh, I saw that. I like that. The complicated scientific stuff into you know, something that actually, you know, normal people can read and understand. Your brain doesn't hurt as much. And I love you have newsletters there. You do a shout out about cat research. Um, you're really, you're an amazing person leading a great army to help our dogs and our cats. And so I'm going to give you a big pause up to that, Dr. Nicholas Badman. Thank you. We've got a new study going on with cats right now. It's a genetic study looking for the gene that causes compulsive disorder, studying vermin. Oh in particular, because it's better to study genetics than 
one breed, one pure breed. Yeah. Um, and the behavior we chose was, um, you know, sort of what they call wool sucking, which kind of goes hand in glove with biker, which is, you know, eating inedible objects. You know, if you've got a Brahmin that eats holes in your sweater, you know, what is the genetic thing that causes that? And we believe that that would be important, not only for cats in general, but also for other species, including dogs and perhaps humans. We're all mammals on this planet together. I had a Siamese cat named Corky as a kid. And I'm the third daughter, and I finally didn't get a hand-me-down. I got a beautiful wool vest. Came home from school, and Corky ate a cannonball-sized hole in it. Yeah, I've got a go. slide in my cat's collection. It's got a picture. Somebody took their pure wool sweater, and they hung it up on the line and took a photograph of it after their cat had been at it, and it just looked like you'd taken a shotgun and fired yeah. it at the sweater. Holes all over the place. Big holes. Wow. Well, we're saying uh, thank you very much for being on the show. Please, everyone, check out dogstudies.org. At this time, also, I want to give a shout-out to my producer, Mark Winter. He is the surgeon of sound. He is the executive producer of Pet Life Radio, the largest radio network on pets on the planet. Maybe, you know, if we get to the moon, we can, uh, we can boast that, too. Uh, I hope you will check out other shows on our network. And check me out at uh, Ardenmore.com. And until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave! Coast to coast and around the world, it's all behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do. And get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.